Hello, listeners. You are listening to Historical AF, or if you cuss like we do, Historical as Fuck. This is your overly caffeinated historian, Kina. And I'm your rad-ass librarian, Ashley. We're here to deliver the funny, weird, spooky, morbid, and random historical nuggets you never knew you needed. Welcome to episode three. Episode three. Woo, woo, woo. That was like my Oprah voice. (laughs) You get a car. Thanks, Keena. I would love a car. Me too. (laughs) I loved your Oprah. Oprah. (laughs) Oprah. Oprah voice. (laughs) So. This is going well. This is going so fucking well. Um, So we need to mention what we're doing for a theme this week. Because last week I definitely forgot. This week is badass women. Like ourselves. I am a huge fan of women in history. And it was one of my minors in my undergrad gender studies. I took basically every women in whatever class. I took like women in psychology, women in history, women in art history. And I took all those. So I went to graduate. And you know how you have to let your form they were like, oh, you have enough classes in women history to have a minor in gender studies. And I was like, hell yeah, I'll take it. Just, that is you know. awesome. Man, I wish yeah. I had taken classes like that. Oh, my God. Women in history. It was uh, women in American history, one of them. And it was amazing. Gosh, wish I had done stuff like that. I just took every fucking literature class that they had at UCA. <laughs> Ooh, go Bears. Go Bears. Yeah, fun fact, me and Ashley went to UCA. But not at the same time? Maybe. I think we overlapped a little at the end, but uh, we didn't know each other. (laughs) Yeah, we didn't meet until later. So how was your week? My week was pretty good. To follow up on last week, I did see Endgame. And then it happened to be the same day as the Battle of Winterfell on Game of Thrones. So I'm obviously emotionally drained and a little scarred. So... That's where I'm at. Well, and to follow up from last week, I have watched Captain Marvel. Yes! And I rewatched Civil War, and I watched part of Ant-Man, I think. I don't remember that part. (laughs) I will eventually finish, but yes. And I also watched the Battle of Winterfell, but I haven't seen Endgame yet. But I know all the spoilers because I like spoilers, actually, and my husband told me them because I asked. You know, I really went into it not knowing anything because I refused to even watch the trailer because I wanted to be surprised. And I literally had no idea what was going on. And it was kind of cool because I normally do look at spoilers. But this was the first time that I went in not knowing a single thing. And I cried like a bitch baby. So many tears. From what I hear, as you should have. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of one of our kids at work told one of our children's librarians a spoiler and she hasn't seen it yet. And, like, the kid was terrified of how incredibly enraged our librarian (laughs) got. When I was a teen librarian back in the day, I would put up a note to be like, if you do this, you were kicked out. Yep. (laughs) Like, there will be no limit to my rage if you ruin this for me. Oh, yeah, yeah. We have enacted that, too. Yeah. (laughs) Like, even if the kids try to tell each other spoilers, like, one kid was like, if you're not nice to me, I'll give you a spoiler about Endgame. I was like, if you give a spoiler about Endgame, you're out. You're out of here. <laughs> oh, man, that's the worst. I saw that somebody, like, punched somebody out in some 
store or something. I think it was like a pizza place, wasn't it? I don't know if you've seen it. I don't know. It was Domino's. (laughs) The employee like punched out a customer because they gave him a spoiler. You know what? Justified. I can imagine being blinded with rage. Yeah. I did see where someone with the, is it the Buffalo Bills maybe? Tweeted spoilers, but he purposefully misspelled words of the filters to block spoilers for it, still saw them. And so now there's like a petition going around to have him removed from the fucking Buffalo Bills. <laughs> that is beautiful. And I love it. Yes, I, I love it so much. As I've said before, I don't sport. So I don't know who that is, but I support that. I peripherally sport and everyone in my family sports. So I just randomly heard about it through the grapevine of my family. So, <laughs> so yes. That's amazing. <sighs> My week. I wrote down about my week. Ooh, yay. Been wanting to talk about this because no one noticed at work and it made me sad. My week has been awesome because I got my nose pierced. Yay! Got my nose pierced on Saturday because my rebellious teen years kicked in in my 30s because anxiety. So, yeah. I'm so excited. I do notice that I wear my nose ring all the time and nobody ever notices. Yeah, nobody noticed. But, like, I've been feeling real cute. All of my selfies have been, like, a little more tilted to the left so you can see it more. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, but then yesterday as I was leaving work after wearing heels all day, one of my teens told me that I look awkward wearing heels and I look like I don't know how to walk in them. So that really brought me back down to earth because teens are just right there to keep you humble. See, I would have been like, bet you wear walk in these. Let's see it, how you do. It was like it was <laughs> the pickles on the shit sandwich that was yesterday. And I literally like. <laughs> almost cried on the way home like he said it and I was just like what do you mean it's awkward you're so mean like the adult I am so yeah teens gonna be the worst although the teen boys were the nicest in my opinion the teen girls were terrifying yes terrifying yes all of them are terrifying to me right now but whatever (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I walked in the door made my margarita and then I fed Reggie dinner that's priorities. Just yeah, like I was like emotional support margarita thundercats <laughs> or go. Yes, but here for recording purposes, I couldn't find our bottle opener. So I brought the can opener to open my beer and I'm sitting in bed. <laughs> and I stole my husband's lunchbox and it is filled with a bottle of Tito's vodka and three diet sprites because I'm on a diet. So I thought that would be the diet drink since it has... Really low calories. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> I'm on a diet. Yeah, so like I don't need any calories right now. I just don't need that. <laughs> that was my logic. <laughs> I almost stayed in my work clothes so I could be like, look at me being professional. But then I was like, you know what? We're badass women and we're talking about badass women. So I'm going to be comfortable. Yeah, I am Rocking in my gym out. clothes still. So nice. Again, with the diet, my fat ass had to go to the gym. Goddamn gym. I can barely walk from yesterday because yesterday was leg day and I did only hamstrings and like glutes. So now my ass hurts. So that's fun. It's all stuff I should be doing, but I'm not. Yeah, I think the pain is worth it in my quest to be Brie Larson. Definitely. Especially now that I understand that reference. Captain Marvel is such a badass. For real. Nanny Harrison, I took the puppers for a walk today and they seem to enjoy it. And Ruger lost his goddamn mind because he saw a cat and he was like, <gasps> I need it. For real, I would have lost no. my goddamn mind. 
Yeah. And then he sees birds and we're like, dude, birds can fly. You're not going to catch it. But he he wants it. But he doesn't know what to do when he gets it. There's a squirrel. Yes. Like, that goes in our tree right by the window. And he stares at it. <laughs> scared out every day. And he's like, I'm going to get you. But if I open the door, he's like, no, nah, I'm good, mom. I don't, I don't need to actually go out there. Fucker, I see you. <laughs> and yesterday he walked out and he had like one foot up. But you know how dogs usually have like their front foot up when they're pointing? Yes. He had his back foot up for like five minutes and i'm like what are you doing good old derpy dog i love a little derp derp yeah he's asleep next to me i put a blanket there so hopefully he won't make any noise so we'll, well let me i'm gonna post a picture on my instagram of the current situation <laughs> with reggie i'll also send it to you on messenger so you can see it before i post it but this is what's happening at my house right now oh sir reginald oh sir reginald <laughs> oh, a little puppy butt. Yep, he's he's mad because I'm in here. He's he was whining. He wants to go out. Aw, there's my situation. Sorry. Oh wait, or that Ruger? That's, That's Ruger. Ruger dog. I don't know where Murray went. Oh. oh no, he's oh there he is. I'm sorry, Murray. I, <laughs> oh man, look at this go to hell look of like um I'm here too, mom. <laughs> God damn it, mom. <laughs> oh man, that's a face. Oh, that's a face. Oh, yeah. I we'll love you. Them. I love them. Anywho, <laughs> I think we should probably start talking about stories because I'm super pumped. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. I haven't told you a single nugget. I know me either. That I'm doing. So I'm so excited. I did make Terry listen to a little bit of it. And uh, he was like, yep, that sounds good. And then I felt bad that I told him so much. But I didn't tell you. So. Okay. So. Real talk, one of my stories is based in Russia, so I am going <laughs> to struggle. <laughs> I looked up, one of mine is a Kenyan woman, and I looked up the pronunciation of her name, and it was done phonetically, and I don't mean broken down into simple, I mean the actual phonetic symbols. <laughs> so I'm going to take a stab at it, and then probably have to correct myself. Yeah, I was really proud of myself. I was saying the words to Seek earlier, and he's like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what you're saying. And I'm like, I'm so excited. Like, all three of my people, like, two of them are two of my favorite people in history. And then one of them is somebody I just discovered, and I'm so excited to talk about because I don't understand why I didn't know she existed. So Nice. Really. That's how I feel about one of my people. All right. Well, let's do this. Let's do this. Yeah, let's do the damn thing. So I'm going first, right? Yeah. Historical AF. It's going to ask, do you want to hear my historical, my weird, or my funny? Let's start with historical. Let's do with the classic history first. Oh, God. I can't find it. Hang on. (laughs) Hold, please. Okay. Okay. All right. So, and I did the story about Wingari Matai, who is certainly a badass woman. Okay. I have to be um, honest that when you said that, I thought Wingardium and Leviosa, like Harry Potter. (laughs) Wingardium Leviosa. Well, and like, I was trying not to say Mai Tai, but <laughs> yeah, it's Wingari. Wingari. So she was born April 1st of 1940, and she died September 11th of 2011. And she was one of 300 Kenyan students who were selected for the Airlift Africa program, giving her the opportunity to come to the U.S. for college. 
So she attended Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas, and then the University of Pittsburgh, and then the University of Nairobi in Kenya. And she got her bachelor's, master's, and doctorate in biology. Oh, wow. So, like, a real fucking boss just killed it in the collegiate game. So, when she returned to Kenya, she focused on using her acquired knowledge to tackle not only the environmental damage in her country, but also women's rights. Oh, hell yeah. So, like, she saw that there was, you know, deforestation problems as well as poverty and women were being oppressed. And she went to work on fixing the shit. So, she founded what's called the Green Belt Movement. It's a program that taught Kenyan women how to plant trees in deforested areas as well as draw a sustainable income from that land. That is amazing because we know anything from episode one, deforestation leads to cannibalism. Exactly. So she was saving them from cannibalism. Plus she was making it so these women weren't like reliant on men. They could have their own like awesome civilization and bring in their own income and all that. So the Greenbelt movement focuses more specifically on the tree planting as well as water harvesting climate change, mainstream advocacy, gender livelihood, and just general advocacy. Since it was founded in 1977, the movement has trained over 30,000 women in trades to raise them out of poverty, and they've planted over 51 million trees. Oh, wow. Isn't that bomb ass? Like, she's, oh my God, it's so cool. So, For that alone, I would have picked her to talk about, but for her dedication in both environmental conservation and the advancement of women's rights, she was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 2004. Oh, how cool! And she was the first African-American woman to ever receive the award. Oh my God, that's amazing. Boss ass bitch. Like, icon level. I was like seriously fangirling so hard reading about this. So she's quoted as saying, I will be a hummingbird and I will do the best I can. And she means like, I will take care of the wilderness and the world the best way I know how and give back as much as I take, et cetera, et cetera, and like increase her impact. So I I don't have just a ton on her, but I do have written down on the website for the Greenbelt Movement. They encourage the public to also be hummingbirds. And this could be planting a, a flower garden in your yard, um, helping to take care of your community to keep it clean and picking up litter and all that. So anything like that. And for more information for our listeners and how to join this movement, they can go to www.greenmovement.org. And our lovely listeners should all become hummingbirds. Yes, definitely want to be a hummingbird. I am so pumped about this. Like I even saved the website on my work computer to even try to use it for some programming for my teens. And I just love this so much because, you know, we see all these amazing articles in our just like general news reading where people come up with ways for like cleaner water and third world countries and all that. But she focused specifically on women's rights as well as this. And that's just like really cool and something we don't see a lot. Yes. So oh I my really gosh. That's it. So exciting. I didn't know anything about her. So I'm really excited that you did this. I know. I didn't know anything. I I do have to. I follow a Facebook page called The Mighty Girl. And they talk about boss ass women all the time. 
And that's actually, I found an article through them that was like 15 female environmentalists. And I was scrolling through and I was like, okay, okay, these are all cool. These are all great. And then I was like, oh, okay, this is even more cool. So yes, that's where I found it. And I was really pumped. And I definitely want to be a hummingbird. Yes, that is amazing. Like, she's an amazing person. She really took an opportunity and seized it. She didn't just take, you know, her opportunity in the United States. She exceeded any expectations. And that is amazing. Yeah, that's, I love it so much. She's my new hero. I know. It was a great start. Great start, Ashley. Good job. It was. You want (laughs) me to bring you down now? (laughs) I guess. Yes, I do have morbid AF this week, so I think I'm just going to get it out of the way. And the funniest thing might be my pronunciation of Russian. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) we'll see. Although it is slightly, it has a few feel-good parts. So not completely depressing. So please don't stop listening. This is the badass life and tragic death of Grand Duchess Elizabeth Feodorovna. Ooh, look at you being fancy. Nailed it. Speak that Russian girl. (laughs) Her Grand Ducal Highness Princess Elizabeth Alexandra Louise Alice of Hesse and by Rhine was born on November 1st, 1864. Ella, as her family called her, and which is what I will call her from now on. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) Was the second daughter of Princess Alice of the UK and the daughter of Queen Victoria and Ludwig IV, Grand Duke of Hesse and by Rhine. So, a historical detour here. Queen Victoria is known as the grandmother of Europe. She had nine kids and 42 grandchildren. Good Lord. Four of which married each other. So, (gasps) yikes. Historical incest, just a part of history. It's true. So, currently, descendants of Queen Victoria occupy thrones in Belgium, Denmark, Luxembourg, Norway, Spain, and the United Kingdom. And before the war, they also sat on thrones in Greece, Germany, Romania, and Russia. Nice. Shows you the span of the whole Queen Victorian reign. So, detours over. In 1878, at the age of 14, Ella's mother died following an outbreak of diphtheria in the family that also killed her four-year-old sister, May. Mm. I know. But she was sent away at the beginning of the outbreak to her paternal grandmother's home and was the only one to remain unaffected. After her mother died, she was sent along with her sisters to stay with Queen Victoria, and she quickly became one of her favorites. She was extremely beautiful, and she's often called the most beautiful princess in Europe. So naturally, she had a lot of gentlemen callers. Her first cousin, the future Wilhelm II, German emperor proposed to Ella, but she said, nah, I'm good. (laughs) Good call, Ella. Good call. Another suitor who also got a big nope from Ella was Wilhelm's first cousin, the future Friedrich II, Grand Duke of Baden. Sorry, that that family tree would make a circle. (laughs) It's so true. All right. So the Hessian court had a special relationship with the Russian court since Ella's great aunt Marie of Hesse and by Rhine. Empress Maria Alexandrovna. Alexandrovna. Oh, man, I was so good. I was so... I almost had that. Okay. (laughs) The Hessian court had a special relationship with the Russian court since Ella's great Aunt Marie of Hesse by the Rhine, who is also known as Empress Marie Alexandrovna, 
after her marriage, had married Emperor Alexander II of Russia. You with me? It's a lot of Alex. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> ah, so the Empress regularly visited her homeland, and she was usually accompanied by her two youngest sons, Grand Duke Sergei Alexandrovich and Grand Duke Paul Alexandrovich. Oh, man. Russian's hard. <laughs> so Ella and Sergei, who were... He was seven years older than her, got to know each other, and they eventually fell in love. Queen Victoria was strongly against the idea of marriage because she did not like anything Russian. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) They got good vodka. So, despite the misgivings of the two families, Sergei was intent on making Ella his bride. How romantic. In 1883, Sergei proposed to Ella, and she accepted, and the couple married on June 15th, 1884, which, side note, is 100 years before I was born. Nice. Ah. If only they'd known what was to come. (laughs) So they were wed at the Winter Palace in St. Petersburg, Russia, and since Ella had not yet converted to Russian Orthodox religion, there were two ceremonies, one for the Lutheran and one for the Russian Orthodox. Okay, that's a good way to get two cakes. Right? It's all about the cake. <laughs> yes. The wedding was attended by many royals from around Europe, with the noticeable exception of Queen Victoria. Probably she wasn't about that Russian life. Apparently. So instead, she was represented by her two sons, the Prince of Wales, Prince Alfred, and the Duke of Edinburgh, who had married Sergei's sister. So after her marriage, Ella was known as the Grand Duchess Elizabeth Theodrovna. It's the only word I'm going to nail this whole time, so I'm going to... Nailed it. Crushed it. In 1894, Ella's youngest surviving sister, Alix, married Sergei's nephew, Emperor Nicholas II. Do you recognize who that is? It rings a bell, but I'm blanking. There's too much alcohol in my system. (laughs) So Alix and Nicholas had met at Sergei's wedding... And they became the Nicholas and Alexandra who were executed alongside their infamous daughter, Anastasia. <gasps> oh! Blown. Blown. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, shit. I, yes, okay. I'm with you now. We are on the same wavelength. So, okay, cool. Everybody knows about Anastasia. Nobody really knows about this side. Well, I mean, I'm sure people know, but I did not know about this part of the family tree. Well, and wasn't part part of her name in Anastasia's name? I feel like I remember the name Fedorovna or whatever. Yeah, that was her family. I didn't study my Russian. <laughs> we didn't study the Russian. Okay. All right. Okay, cool, so, cool. So, in 1891, Tsar Alexander III appointed Sergei Governor General of Moscow. In the following years, he was also appointed to the Imperial State Council and made commander of the Moscow Military District. In that same year, Ella converted to the Russian Orthodox Church from Lutherism on her own volition. And I saw several things that talked about how she felt that it was God calling her to become, you know, Russian Orthodox, that she wasn't pressured by marrying into it. That's what they all say. (laughs) That'll be important later. Okay. Awesome. Sergei's nephew, Nicholas, became emperor upon his father's death in November of 1894. But over the next 11 years, Sergei became more and more disenchanted with the policies and decisions of his nephew. So finally, after some major losses in the Russo-Japanese War, Sergei resigned his position as Governor General on January 1st, 1905. 
All right, shit's about to get really tragic. Brace yourself. Okay. I'm strapping in. Let's do this. All right. On February 17th, 1905, Grand Duke Sergei left the Nicholas Palace in Moscow in his carriage. He was en route to the Governor General's mansion where he was about to collect his things from the office because he re- resigned. He had just come through one of the gate towers when an assassin threw a nitroglycerin bomb into the carriage just a few feet away from him. Yikes. <sighs> the bomb landed in Sergei's lap and exploded. <clears throat> the Grand Duke was killed instantly and his body was literally blown to pieces. Damn, dude. <sighs> the assassin, Ivan Kaliev. Kaly- oh, man, I read this earlier. Okay, the assassin, Ivan Kaliev was injured in the attack and was promptly arrested and later executed. Ella, having heard the blast from the Nicholas Palace, rushed to the scene and began to gather what was left of her husband's body. Oh, that's rough. I can't even, like, my husband's in the military and I can't even imagine, like, him being in some sort of explosion like this. This just really gets me. Yeah, no. She's a better person than me, though. So afterwards, she spent hours in prayer, and sometime later, she petitioned the emperor to have mercy on the assassin. That was nice. I know. Much better person than I would be. So Ella met the assassin at 8 o'clock in the evening on February 7th. The Grand Duchess said, I am the wife of the man you have killed. Tell me, why did you do this? So he answered, I did what I have been charged with. It is the fault of the existing regime. I killed Sergei because he was the weapon of tyranny. I was taking revenge for my people. Damn. Full of mercy. I know, right? Okay. So, full of mercy, Ella said, do not listen to your pride. Repent. And I will beg the sovereign to give you your life. I will ask him for you. I myself, knowing the generous heart of my late husband, you have already been forgiven. So then she stayed alone with him for 20 minutes, blessed him, and then left him with the gospel. When the meeting was over, he said to the officer, the Grand Duchess is kind, and you were all cruel. I can't even imagine being in that kind of shock, like losing your husband, who you love, and then forgiving his murderer. That is just next-level nice person that I... All right, so fast forward four years. Elizabeth Feodorovna sold all of her jewelry and possessions... And the part that belonged to the Romanovs, she gave back to them. With all the proceeds, she opened the Martha and Mary convent and became its abbess. She said, my new life starts in two weeks. Life blessed in the church. It seems I'm leaving my past behind with its sins and its mistakes, hoping for loftier goals and a purer existence. For me, taking monastic vows as something more serious than marriage is for a young woman. I'm becoming engaged to Christ and his service. I give everything I have to him and my neighbor. So in her convent, she made sure there was a hospital, a pharmacy, and an orphanage. And her and the Russian Orthodox nuns spent their time serving the poor of Moscow. So this is also a horrible time of war. And she is dedicating her life to help people that are suffering at this time. She said the revolution can't finish soon. It may only sharply deteriorate and become something chronic. It is my duty to help the poor victims of the rebellion. I would rather be killed by the first accidental shot than stay here and do nothing. So, badass woman. For real. She has lost everything and then gave away everything to give back to this country that is 
Yeah, like, I feel bad saying that she's badass because she was so religious, so I feel bad cussing about her, but, like, she was badass. (laughs) She really was, and I am almost ashamed of myself because I didn't know she existed, so I'm really excited. I am ashamed of myself, not only for not knowing she existed, but also not being anywhere near her level of awesome. Oh, I know. She is just amazing, and all right, well, things are about to get even more tragic. Oh, God. Okay, so after the Russian Revolution... Ella was arrested in 1918 by the Bolsheviks and was sent away to the Urals, where she was later joined by five other Romanovs. The Grand Duke Sergei Mikhailovich Romanov, Princess Ian Kostanovich, Konstantin Kostanovich, and Igor Konstantinovich, and Vladimir Povlach Pali. And they were also joined with Grand Duke Sergei's secretary, Fyodor Remez. And then Varvara Yokovleva, who is a nun from the Grand Duchess's convent. So they were all arrested at this time. Dang, okay. On May 20th, 1918, they were all taken to the Alpivisk. I'm trying, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're doing amazing. <laughs> Where they were all kept at a school in the outskirts of town. So the, just think that this is a time of Lenin, and Lenin's trying to like clean up everything from right. the past regime. Right. All right. So on July 18th, 1918, the day after the assassination of Emperor Nicholas II and his family, so the day that Anastasia's family was murdered, Ella and the other prisoners were awakened and driven in carts on a road leading to a village that was 11 miles away. There was an abandoned iron mine that was had a pit that was 20 meters deep, which is 60 feet, 66 feet deep. I don't like this is where this is going. The Cheka who is Lenin's secret police. They beat all the prisoners before throwing their victims into this pit, Elizabeth being the first person they threw in. Well, fuck them. All right. But all except Grand Duke Sergei Mikhailovich survived the fall. <sighs> oh, okay. So hand grenades were then hurled down the shaft, but only one victim, Fedor Remez, died as a result of the grenades. Jesus Christ. Oh, there's more. <laughs> God damn it. Okay, go on. According to the personal account of Vasily Ryubov, who was one of the killers, Elizabeth and the others survived the initial fall into the mine, prompting Ryubov to toss in a grenade after them. Following the explosion, he claimed to have heard Elizabeth and others singing orthodox hymns at the bottom of the shaft. So she's not even like, fuck you, you didn't kill me. I'm going to sing some Jesus hymns. So. See my face right now because I'm horrified i know but also she could have pretended to be dead and they would have stopped but she didn't she continued to sing praises to her god like she didn't oh all right boss ass bitch (sighs) i know so unnerved right ray i know i'm butchering that but i don't care because he's a murderer okay yeah fuck that guy yeah fuck that guy so he threw his second grenade but the singing continued fuck yeah He then ordered that a large quantity of brushwood be shoved into the opening and set on fire, in which he just took off and was done with it, because he's like, obviously they're dead. Of course he did, coward. (sighs) So on October 8th, 1918, the White Army soldiers, who were the anti-communist group at the time, they discovered the remains of Elizabeth and her companions still within the shaft where they'd been murdered. Despite having lain there for almost three months, the bodies were in relatively good condition, and most were thought to have died solely from injuries or starvation rather than the fire. 
Elizabeth had died of wounds sustained in her fall in the mine. But before her death, she still found the strength to banish the head of the dying Prince Ian in her dying moments. So even when she's dying, she's thinking of other people. So with the Red Army approaching, the remains were removed and brought further east and buried in the cemetery of a Russian Orthodox mission in Peking, which is now Beijing, China. Elizabeth was ultimately taken to Jerusalem, where her body was laid to rest at the St. Mary Magdalene Convent on the Mount of Olives, along with the remains of her fellow nun, Varva Yakovleva. Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay. She was 53 years old when she died. Mm. (sighs) All right. But it gets kind of happy. Okay, good. Okay. Elizabeth was canonized by the Russian Orthodox Church abroad in 1981. And in 1992, the Moscow Patriarch... Oh, my God. Patriarch... As... Okay. I I didn't look that word up. So, in 1992, she became the holy martyr Elizabeth Feodorovna. That's awesome. She is one of the 10 20th century martyrs depicted in the statues on the Great West Door of Westminster Abbey in London, England. Aww. Ella's convent was closed in 1920 during the Soviet regime, but the convent was reopened in 1994, and the sisters there continued to do the work that she started. A statue of Elizabeth was erected in the garden of her convent in Moscow, after the dissolution of the Soviet Union, its inscription reads, To the Grand Duchess Elizabeth Feodorovna with repentance. Awesome. And that is the story of the martyr and the saint Elizabeth Feodorovna. That was wonderful and so sad. And <sighs> I thought I would love the morbid AF category, but it just consistently makes me sad every week. I know, but I'm really excited that I found her because everybody knows the story of Nicholas and Anastasia, but I don't think a lot of people know this story, and she was extraordinary, so I'm really glad I found her. Real? Oh my gosh. Like, I'm like borderline speechless by how awesome she was and how how horrific she treated. Yeah. So brave, and that even in the face of death, she was still thinking of other people. Yeah. amazing so yeah wow i'd say we could pour one out for her but she was a nun so she probably didn't really <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, probably I not of that sacrament wine maybe i don't know <laughs> nothing we have on hand oh man now like all my my other two stories like feel so pale in comparison yeah i think I'm just really glad that we did Badass Women because there are just so many amazing women in history that we don't really learn about. And I'm just, she makes me want to be a better person. (laughs) Yes, yes. Like, I feel like really terrible about my life right now. Like, I need to be better. And I know, like, we'll definitely do more of these episodes because there are so many boss-ass women to do. Yeah, I mean, that's, we're off to a really great start. And yeah, and we'll definitely put, like, pictures on our Instagram of all these amazing ladies and all that jazz. Oh, there's so. some amazing pictures of her working in the <clears> convent. <throat> and, you know, her as the most beautiful princess in the world. And then as giving everything up to be a nun. And awesome. So cool. Awesome. Well, I guess I'll, I'll move on then. I feel so bad now. I, yeah, I guess I'll go to my weird as fuck topic. If that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. My my weird AF. I'm going to talk about Maude Wagner. 
who her maiden name is Stevens. So I'm going to talk about her as Maude Stevens for a little bit and then move to Maude Wagner. But you'll see why. All right. I have no idea who that is. Sorry. Let me clear my throat because apparently the pollen has jumped directly into my vocal cords. (laughs) Okay. So a little clarification real quick. I am calling this my weird story because it's about a taboo thing. Okay, so I kind of wrote my notes a little weird, so let me jump around. So Maude Stevens slash Wagner is on my list of big damn heroes because I have tattoos. I love tattoos. I want so many more tattoos. And Maude Wagner is basically the woman who helped normalize tattoos on women in the U.S. Oh, wow. I'm also a big fan. Yes. So she was a sideshow performer and she was known as one of the most tattooed women in history, basically. Oh, wow. So I'm calling this weird because of the taboo behind women having tattoos and especially in her time period, which I'll I'll talk about. So here's a little fun fact real quick. In 2012, more women than men got tattooed and that number is growing every day. So I think women are pretty up there with that and like yeah like history is rife with women fighting for equal pay and the right to vote and all those women are so so important and I'm sure we'll eventually cover people in those movements in future episodes and but why I love Maude Wagner and I actually like as soon as we started discussing doing this episode I thought of her because she was so essential in normalizing the fight for bodily autonomy Mm -hmm. which is like a huge thing for me and it's very it's very like prevalent in our politics today bodily autonomy and all that let's just let's just set the scene picture it if you will i'm ready early 20th century there were traveling circuses they were all the rage so there were animals there were clowns trapeze artists blah 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 But the main attraction that pulled in the most onlookers would be the human sideshows, the freak shows. Yeah. So let me let me hop on my soapbox for a second, have my rant that I'm apparently just going to do every episode (laughs) strap in. But I have kind of a tenuous relationship with the concept and existence of freak shows bullied because of my birth defect a lot growing up. So I fully believe that if I'd been alive around that time, that I could definitely have been counted as one of the people in the freak show. And I think I could have made a killing because I'm me. (laughs) But they're so dehumanizing. These people that were considered to be different were being stared at and laughed at by comparatively, quote unquote, normal people. And it's just, it's up there for me with human zoos on like the what the fuck meter mm-hmm. like they were just they're just very weird and I I kind of feel like these normal people would come in and laugh at these people and then go home feeling so much better about themselves that they weren't you know the unfortunate wolf man or fattest woman alive or anything like that so so I'm a little weird but for people like Maude who could be in these sideshows and kind of take back their narrative I wrote down I said, cool, yay for them, 10 points for Slytherin. <laughs> like, so I I kind of, it's a love-hate relationship. Like, I love the people who could use these shows as, like, jumping off point to 
enact change. But mm-hmm. then they were also like so tragic for people who couldn't do that and like just lived a life of misery in those. But anyway, so there's my rant for the day. Sorry, not sorry. But anyway. <laughs> <clears throat> so Maud was born in 1877 in Lyon County, Kansas. And that's where she began her life as a performer. She was an aerialist, an acrobat, and a contortionist all along the local carnival circuit there. Eventually, she worked her way up to traveling circuses, and this led to her being at the 1904 Louisiana Purchase Exposition, which is informally known as the St. Louis World's Fair. Oh, wow. So the exposition held opportunities for performers and inventors to show off their skills, hawk their wares, all of that. Mm-hmm. This is where Maud met Gus Wagner, her future husband, who was known as the Tattooed Globetrotter. So let me just say, this is a bold-ass move, in my opinion. <laughs> Gus offered to teach Maud the art of tattooing in exchange for one date with her. Oh, wow. And she accepted, which... It was bold on his part, but also she's like, all right, I'll go on a date with you so I can learn how to do this stuff. But then they ended up getting married. So, you know, it worked out for both of them. That's so really badass because if you're thinking of the time she lived in, for her yes. to be a tattooist is still really extraordinary. Yeah, so it's so cool. So he taught her how to do hand poke or stick and poke methods of tattooing, which just requires a sharp needle, ink, patience, and detail. Which, when I read Stick and Poke, I thought about Billy Bob's Meth Den down the hill where you saw, like, all the people in high school <laughs> get, like, a Jesus fish poked onto their the back of their hand, like, <laughs> and it inevitably became infected. So, like, I was like, whoa. So, I'm going to refer to it as hand poke in here because Stick and Poke just in today's society has, like, such weird connotations. So, anyway, so while these lessons were going on... Gus was also tattooing Maud at the same time with all these kinds of amazing art. So it didn't take long for Maud to be covered all the way up to her neck in black work designs. Oh, wow. And this just increased her curb appeal as a sideshow performer. Her tattoos included lions, horses, monkeys, butterflies, snakes, trees, women, patriotic symbols, and even her own name on her left forearm. Which, like, what a boss-ass move. (laughs) <laughs> to get, like, your own name tattooed on your arm. Like, that's right. I'm mod. I am on board with all that except snakes. I I am like Indiana Jones. I do not like snakes. <laughs> I am on board with everything but the patriotic symbols. Because I'm like nobody. I just don't like flags. <laughs> but anyway... Yes. So I also wrote this down that having your name own name tattooed on your arm would be like a great way to identify a body. (laughs) But that's not where this story goes. But anywho, so from here, she started tattooing her coworkers. And then eventually she opened up her work to appointments to the public. Okay, I wish my coworkers would have tattooed me because tattoos are expensive. I'm not going to lie. I've met some of our coworkers. I don't have many coworkers I would trust. I'm sorry, coworkers. I can count like one coworker off the top of my head right now that if they walked in and was like, yo, I want to tattoo you, I'd be like, I let's do this. <laughs> sorry, coworkers. But anyway, so yeah, so she she worked her way up 
She always stuck with the hand poke style, even as the electric tattoo machines became popularized by other artists. Oh, that's interesting. So, yeah, she, I mean, she stayed true to form. Like, that's what she learned. That's what her man taught her and went from there. And that was pretty much her legacy. But then, so after they got married, Maude and Gus had one daughter named Lavetta. And Lavetta was an artist, and she also became a big influence in the tattooing world. But she was never tattooed by her father because Maude wouldn't allow it. Oh, why? Which I don't know. I could not figure it out. Like, Maude was cool with her getting tattoos, but for some reason, she just did not want her daughter ta- being tattooed by her dad. Was um, she, like, did he tattoo other people or did he only tattoo her? It was, like, her thing. He tattooed other people, too. Oh. So, okay. I don't know. Like, I'm not really sure on that, but I even wrote down, which I don't really understand, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lavetta, after her dad died, refused to let anyone tattoo her. Like, she would get tattoos from other people while her dad was alive, but then as soon as he died, she wouldn't get any more tattoos. She Aww. still did tattoos. She just wouldn't be tattooed. So, and an interesting little note about Lavetta is the, I'll put a picture of this with the post, but you know, the Ed Hardy iconic tattoo that Ed Hardy has, that's the rose. Yeah. Lavetta did that. Oh, wow. She tattooed Ed Hardy with this iconic rose before she died in 1983. So that's basically, you know, the, the Wagner family kind of. Awesome, but I do want to note, tattoos on women didn't start with Maude. Mm-hmm. Like, she just helped normalize it, but the earliest documented tattooed woman was a mummified Siberian princess that dated back to the 5th century BC. Oh, wow. Yes, and then in North America, native tribes, including the Inuits in Alaska and Canada, have been tattooing female members since, well, forever, I'm sure, but Sir Martin Frosch- Frobisher documented it in 1576 oh that is so cool so i mean like women have always been getting tattoos but Maud took it from look at this spectacle that people are gonna come be amazed at to oh yeah this is just something that is cool with everyday society which i really appreciate because i love my tattoos and i want more and I mean, even like in today, I don't know how much you've run into with your tattoos, but I get like I get compliments on my tattoos, but I also get really like awful comments, too. And I can't even imagine what she dealt with back in the like 1800s, 1900s compared to what I get now. Yeah, I I get it. I probably would have gone to jail for knocking someone out. Well, it's funny because my two feet tattoos are probably the most visible because I have one on my wrist, but you don't really notice it. But uh, both of them are dedicated to dead people. So one is my dad and one is my best friend. So when people say something like, why would you get that tattoo? I'm like, oh, it's my dad's handwriting. He died. Or that's, you know, a picture of my best friend Drew before she died. So that stops people pretty quick. Shut it down. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I've gotten really gross comments and doesn't stop me from getting the tattoos it just stops me from talking to certain people no the only thing that stops me from more tattoos is how much they cost (laughs) amen i mean i appreciate that i'm paying for a work of art yes absolutely but that just means i can't get as many works of art 
It's true. Yeah. Quality over quantity. Absolutely. How many tattoos do you have now? I have four. Okay. I'm trying to remember how many I have. Oh, God. (laughs) Wait. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Oh, wow. Eleven? I think I have eleven. I am behind. Oh, man. what happens when you marry someone with a lot of tattoos you just start getting them much to the chagrin of my parents my husband doesn't have any tattoos what he says pecan and has no tattoos yeah well we're gonna get one eventually he wants like a really cool like steampunk pirate thing and he keeps on telling me that i needed to sign it but it's not really my thing so i'm struggling with it but uh, we'll get there i mean i have an unfortunate tattoo that i got when I was 17 that's the claw, which is beautiful because I am Irish and I love it and it's you know a heart with hands holding it with the crown but I got it on my lower back <sighs> which is the most unfortunate place to put hands and uh whenever wedding crashers came out and people call it started calling it a trash or uh tramp stamp. stamp yeah so uh that was unfortunate I still I love it like, I love a clad all. I always have the ring. I love it. But I wish I would have really thought about that placement a little better. It's fine. It's fine. It's my fine. first tattoo was Irish, too. Oh, yay. That was my first tattoo. I was 17. My mom had to, like, sign off for it. That, <laughs> that is wonderful. No, mine is a Celtic knot that I got on my hip when I was 18. Oh, wow. I need another one. Making me want another tattoo really bad. <laughs> so, yes, when you do, think of Maud or me. I don't know. Because I, I will. But, yes. Anyway, so what's your next story? All right. Would you like some random or spooky? Ooh, let's go random. Okay, I'm really excited about this. Okay, good. I don't even remember what word I gave you, so that's awesome. All right. So I got random AF and... Ashley gave me the word dog, which I'm a big fan because I am a shameless dog mom. Yay! So today we're going to talk about Queen Elizabeth II and the Royal Corgis. Yes! Oh my god! Yes! So excited. Okay. So, old Liz is a badass, but I just wanted to give you a little background information on her before we jump into the puppers. (laughs) Yay! So, she was born in 1926 as Princess Elizabeth, and her family did not expect to take the throne. They were not in line to become the actual monarchs of England, so they lived a relatively normal life. But everything changed on December of 1936 when her uncle, King Edward VIII, abdicated the throne, making her father the king, and then she was next in line for the throne. Oh, wow. So another historical detour here. (laughs) Edward abdicated the throne to marry American divorcee Wallace Simpson. As the head of the church, he was not allowed to marry somebody that had been divorced, and that would break the sacred covenant of marriage. But I would like to add that she was also an open Nazi sympathizer who often dined with Hitler, and her and Edward actually toured concentration camps. So I would just like everybody to think for a moment what would happen if he hadn't abdicated, because England was one of our biggest allies. Like, what would have happened in World War II if England would have been like, yay, Nazis? It's just horrifying. Horrifying to think about. Okay, detour over. Okay. (laughs) So, at this time, people were really disillusioned with royalty. 
hence why so many monarchies across the world were crumbling around the world wars. But during World War II, the royal family stayed during the Blitz. The king and queen refused to leave Buckingham Palace. So if you think about being English, you're in London, the Blitz is happening. It's one of the most devastating events in their history. And the king and queen are like, we ain't leaving you. Nah, we're good. So that definitely added to the idea that the royal family was, you know, I, as you said, like, (laughs) (laughs) that, you know, there's something to this. Like, they were going to stay. So Elizabeth and her sister Margaret were actually sent to Windsor for their own safety, but the entire family helped with war effort. They visited bombing sites, and they broadcast messages of hope almost every night. Awesome. So when Elizabeth turned 19, she joined the Auxiliary Territorial Service, where she trained as a driver and a mechanic. She was promoted to junior commander in just five months, which is the same as a captain in the Army in the U.S. That's awesome. Yes. It is amazing. But on February 6, 1953, her father, King George VI, died following a prolonged illness. Illness. I can, I can word. (laughs) Elizabeth immediately ascended the throne, becoming Elizabeth II. And, I mean, I watched The Crown on Netflix, and I like the moment where she's like, well, I like Elizabeth. Might as well keep it. I don't know if that's actually historically accurate, but I would like to think how that's well. How that went down. (laughs) All right. So the coronation took place at Westminster Abbey on June 2nd, 1953, where it was televised for the whole world to see. So this is the first time ever that something of this magnitude was televised. So that meant that the entire world and especially the British were able to have this connection with their monarch. Like they felt like they knew her at some point. (laughs) So, Queen Elizabeth has ruled longer than any other British monarch in history, and she recently outlived Queen Victoria, who we talked about in my last story. Nice. She is quite loved and respected around the world. She is known for her sense of duty and devotion to a life of service, and she's been a figurehead for the UK and the Commonwealth during times of extreme social change. So, just think about everything that has happened since 1953. So, despite her busy life of engagements, charity work, which she is a patron of over 600 charities, which is insane. (laughs) That's a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. That's a lot, a lot. And she's actually been giving them away in the last couple of years. So, if you think uh, William and Kate and Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, they've been taking a lot of her patronages lately. Because she just turned 93 last week, I think. So, yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. She... She is a boss. So there's so much on Queen Elizabeth, like during her reign. And I hope that we get to talk to her, like talk about her later. But I just wanted to, my biggest thing is just like how big of a thing they were in World War II. Like, she's just such a badass. Okay. So even though she has so much work to do with engagements, charity work, and duties as head of state, she manages to maintain hobbies and interests away from her official work. So she's been an animal lover since her childhood, and her greatest passions have been, admittedly, horses and dogs. A side note, I found on the actual Queen's website that one of her interests is Scottish country dancing, which I did not expect. And I didn't I know a, that was a thing. I am imagining right now her dancing a jig, and it's delightful. Yes. So the queen is often associated with her love of Pembroke Welsh corgis. 
And when people think of a queen, they usually envision her walking the countryside and spending time with her dogs. The House of Windsor came by its first corgi in 1933 when King George VI, then the Duke of York, acquired a puppy known as Dookie (laughs) (laughs) for his family. (laughs) That is the most precious name ever. Yes. He was joined shortly thereafter by Jane, who was with the family until 1944 when she was fatally struck by a car. Okay, can you imagine me and the person that runs over, like, the future queen of England's dog? Off with her head. Yes! That's like a foreshadowing of my next story. Okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Side note, all my favorite women in history have lost their heads, pretty much. So that says something about me, I'm sure. Awesome. So, Susan was given to Queen Elizabeth later that year as an 18th birthday present. Oh, Susan. That's the best name. I love dogs with human names. I do too. Okay. (laughs) So Elizabeth, then a princess, became so inseparable with her dog that she sneaked snooze in with her and Prince Philip on their honeymoon in 1947. Which is on a ship. Like, she must have just snuck her under her arm. That's just... She's the queen. She doesn't have to sneak. Well, she's like princess at the time. Oh, yeah, true. But, I mean, still. She she can do what she wants. Yeah. So, over nearly 80 years since the queen first acquired Susan, she and her family have continued to breed dogs from Susan's, Susan's lineage. <laughs> oh, that's a fun word. Okay. The queen has owned at least 30 Pembroke Welsh corgis, all of whom have descended from Susan. Willow was also believed to be part of the 14th generation in line, which Willow is her last corgi. Okay. So 14 generation of corgis. Holy crap. And I've read that this is the most pure line of corgis in existence. And she did it all herself. And she also breeds purebred horses. So she's done a phenomenal job of doing this, which is really interesting if you ever want to look it up. Yeah. Yeah. So some corgis that she had actually mated with dachshunds, <laughs> most notably Pipkin, who belonged to her sister, Princess Margaret. Get it, Pipkin? Yeah, so they created dorgies. <laughs> <laughs> and Her Majesty has owned only corgis and dorgies ever since, which is adorable. I want a dorgie now. I didn't know yeah. that was a thing. I didn't know that was a thing, but now I need one in my life. So, some of Queen Elizabeth's names for her royal pets are pretty traditional, from Monty, Susan, Holly, to Emma, Lynette, Noble, Willow, and Heather. However, Heather. Some- <laughs> Heather. that's my sister. <laughs> okay, if you're listening, Heather. <laughs> you're a corgi. Okay, so some of, some of them are complete curveballs, as candy, sugar, Foxy, Bushy, Brush, Honey, Whiskey, Sherry, Vulcan, Cider, Berry, Flash, Spick, Span, Tiny, and Bisto Oxo. The other dwarves. (laughs) I mean, obviously that one. Obviously. So she actually had a dog named Candy, which immediately evokes imagery of strippers to me. I might be alone. (laughs) I went with, I want candy. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I like the stripper route too. Yes. 
The royal pets are said to leave a luxurious life at Buckingham Palace. Their room is apparently referred to the cor- as the corgi room, where they sleep on elevated baskets to avoid a draft, and they're tended to by Queen Liz herself. So I also think that's sweet, because if you're the Queen of England, you could just have some plebe, you know, yes. take care of dogs. But she refuses to let anybody else take care of them, which I think is awesome. All right, so as if they weren't already living the high life, their meals ranging from beef to rabbit are prepared and served by a gourmet chef. (laughs) And at Christmas, life gets even better because Queen Elizabeth herself is said to make up stockings for each of the pups, filling them with toys and biscuits uh, to be a royal corgi. I mean, they're living their best life. And I make I make fun of my mom for making stockings for her dogs and my dog, but I mean the <laughs> queen does it, so it should be fine. Exactly. If that is going to be my justification for something coming up. <laughs> All right. So some of the dogs have actually gotten media attention, including Sugar, who graced the cover of the June issue of the Australian's Women's Weekly back in 1959. Monty, Willow, and Holly made their TV debut alongside Queen. Oh, my God. Alongside the Queen and James Bond sketch it. Oh, my God. Okay, let me start that over. I swear I'm smart. (laughs) Okay. Monty. (laughs) Okay. Monty, Willow, and Holly made their TV debut alongside the Queen in a James Bond sketch at the Buckingham Palace with Daniel Craig as part of their 2012 Olympic opening ceremony. Which yes. was hilarious. I don't it know if you saw so it. was so funny. Oh, they jumped out of the plane. Oh, I'm oh, so I glad did. she's gotten a sense of humor in her old age, too. Because it Amen. is life. I appreciate I it. it. So Willow and Holly, along with their dorky cousins, were also featured prominently in a Vanity Fair spread that celebrated the Queen's 90th birthday. In a photograph taken by Annie Leibovitz, Holly sits next to the queen in Windsor Castle while Willow, Vulcan, and Candy roam at her feet. So, the sad part. In no. April <laughs> April of 2018, the queen's last corgi, Willow, passed away. Willow's death would signal the end of the era for the queen's corgis. The queen announced that her corgi breeding days were behind her for the sole reason that she doesn't want any of her dogs to survive her in the event of her death. I remember reading that and I was going to ask you about it. Yeah. She reportedly told her friend Monty Roberts that she didn't want to leave any young dog behind, which I respect. If you're going to out, like you don't want your animals to outlive you. Yeah. Like I used to work at PetSmart (laughs) when I was in college and it was a thing that like birds can live like 60 years. So when old people would come in wanting a baby bird, we'd be like, What's the nice way of saying that they're going to outlive you? <laughs> like, <laughs> you might not want them. <laughs> also, just a side note, I want you to turn around and look at Ruger in the doorway. <laughs> he's, he's been standing there mean mugging for like four minutes. Uh, apparently, dad has not fed you. <laughs> He's like, you're in there talking about dogs. I've got a dog right here. Oh, my God. He is glaring at me. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Oh, okay. Oh. Okay. So, still why Buckingham Palace may have lost his corgis, the dorgies remain. Very nice. All right. So, this is one of my favorite parts. 
that even though there's been a constant presence of animals, um, especially corgis, the royal family has not been without incident. <laughs> in 1954, one of the queen's corgis, and there were three at the time, bit a member of the queen's guard. <laughs> <laughs> Sometime earlier, the International Herald Tribune reported that one of them, believed to be Susan, had bitten the royal clockwinder. My gosh. Dang, Susan. Oh, God. I just love this because sometimes my dog is an asshole. So I'm like, if the queen's dog is an asshole, then that makes it okay that mine is, too. Oh, yes. That's what I'm going to tell myself next time Reggie does something terrible. (laughs) All right, so 14 years later, a member of parliament called upon the royal family to post a beware of dogs sign outside <laughs> residence after one of the corgis bit a postal worker delivering the mail to Balmoral Castle in Scotland. <laughs> that is wonderful. <laughs> oh, now he's crying. Okay. Oh, go feed that baby. <laughs> oh, Texie. Okay. So the queen herself hasn't been spared either. In 1991, she was bitten by one of the dogs as she tried to break up a fight between them. So I like to imagine the queen trying to break up a dog fight because that also sounds pretty amazing. I appreciate this image. <laughs> and she wasn't the only victim. Her mother's chauffeur at the time was also bitten. And she... <laughs> I can hear them. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> He's moved to like that side. Okay. Um, uh, she wasn't the only victim. Her mother's chauffeur at the time was also bitten and had to get a tetanus shot. It wasn't the only time relationships between the dogs and the royal staff had been strained. In 1999, a royal footman was demoted after he allegedly spiked the dog's food and water with gin and whiskey. He brought that on himself. But why was he just demoted? I would say, yeah, ahead for real. He was reportedly caught with an exam on one of the dogs when they tested his blood and they found alcohol. And they were like, what the fuck? This dog's been doping. (laughs) Sneaking into the royal liquor cabinet like you do. It also appears that not everybody in the royal family has shared the queen's enthusiasm for her fleet of corgis. In a television interview in 2012, Prince William expressed some issues with the dogs. He said, they're barking all the time. I don't know how she copes with it. (laughs) Prince Harry, his brother, also (laughs) registered a noise complaint and said, I've spent the last 33 years of my life being barked at. (laughs) He told the BBC in 2017, one person who did receive the dog's approval was apparently Meghan Markle. In a BBC interview, the prince commented that they took very well to Meghan Markle right away. It's because Meghan Markle is perfection. She is who I strive to be in my life, honestly. Same. I saw that interview, actually, and they said that, like, all they do is bark at Harry, and then she came in there to talk to the queen, and they curled up on her feet and were like, I love you. And he was like, what the fuck? magic. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, what the fuck? 33 years. You've done nothing but bark at me. And you just love her. So that's hilarious. Over the nearly 80 years that the queen has owned corgis, which 80 years, wow. Okay. They have become so closely associated with her that the dogs have made their way into pop culture. So the dogs were featured in the King's Speech in 2010 that depicted King George VI's ascension to the throne. 
The corgis are also prominent throughout the Queen, in which Helen Mirren portrayed Queen Elizabeth. And more recently, the corgis' appearance in the Netflix series The Crown. Nice. Which I really enjoy. (laughs) I have not watched any of those things. Oh, The Crown is delightful. I really like it. We'll get into it eventually. Awesome. Cool. I, like, I have always loved the Queen's Corgis. I'm, like, a big fan. And there used to be this show, I think, on Discovery that was called, I think, like, After Humans that talked about what would happen to the Earth in different scenarios if humans ceased to exist. And there was one episode that talked about what would happen to domesticated animals if all humans disappeared. And it showed this scene of the queen's corgis, like, (laughs) jumping on the door and was like, yep, they're going to die because they are trapped inside and can't get out because of their stubby little legs. And so they'll start. (laughs) Oh, that's terrible. And it upset me so bad. I cried for hours. And, um, like, every time I think of the Queen's Corgis, I think of that fucking episode, and I get a little bit sad, but I love it. And I, I remember reading that her last Corgi had died, and she wasn't going to breed anymore. And I was just, like, so upset for her that she wasn't going to have any Corgis. But I'm glad that she has the little Dachshund-Corgi hybrids still around, so yeah, I feel and- better. I also saw a video of her driving through, I think it was, like, like Windsor or something, but she had Meghan Markle's dog in the back seat with her. So apparently she's hanging out with her little beagle now, which I think her, is adorable. Her great grandpup. Yeah. That's great. Okay. That pleases me. That makes yeah. me so much happier. And he was so happy. He was just like up in the window, like looking out like this is the greatest. So yeah, he's living the best life now. That's awesome. Well, I am also going to talk about royalty, but not in the same kind of way. All right, let's do this. So, royalty of my heart. For my funny AF topic, I am going to talk just briefly about Alice Roosevelt, daughter of Theodore Roosevelt. Ooh! We've discussed her a little bit, just like in passing when we were nerds and talk about history, not for a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but Alice Roosevelt is was absolutely my like Patronus. I strive to be as awesome as her, so... She was the daughter of Theodore Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, who is the 26th president of the United States. Mm-hmm. And her father is famously quoted as saying, I can run the county, a country, country, really? That's where I want that. <laughs> I can run the country or attend to Alice. I cannot possibly do both. Aww. <laughs> so that's just a little precursor for how awesome she is. So she was born in 1884. And she moved into the White House with her family in 1901 when her father became president and they were there until 1909. So she raised many societal eyebrows during her time by smoking, drinking, (laughs) chewing gum. Oh, my God. And big gasp riding in cars with young men. Oh, clutch my pearls. Alice. Just shock, shock and awe. So she, you know, was rabble rousing that way. And then sometimes she even wandered around while carrying her pet snake. Oh, 
oh man, she might have lost me there. Right, I know. <laughs> I knew I had you right until then. But yes, yeah, so she had a pet snake that she would just like carry around. With Although her. I do appreciate the shock factor that must have happened when she had gone public with snakes. Right. There was a time that she accompanied her father against his will to Africa for some like foreign relations type things. And Congressman Nicholas Longsworth went with them. Mm-hmm. And she turned a lot of heads because she and Longsworth began like a very tawdry, torrid affair. Ooh. And after the scandalous affair, she actually married him in 1906. Oh, he put a ring on it. He did put a ring on it. But because of this affair, she had a baby. Oh. So, I mean, very like Trey scandal of this time period. Mm-hmm. At the wedding, she reportedly cut the cake with a military-issued ceremonial sword, <laughs> which I really wish I had done at my own wedding, and now I need to get married again. So, second wedding for me. <laughs> and then when they were leaving the White House for William H. Taft to take up the presidency, mm-hmm. she buried a voodoo doll of Nellie Taft, his wife, in the <laughs> White House garden. <laughs> Like, she was like, fuck this broad. Here's a voodoo doll over. I'm putting her in the ground. That is amazing. Oh, my God. So, this and a few other actions granted her a banishment from the White House during the Taft administration. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you only aspire to be banished from the White House? Yes. This is why I want to be her. And then... During Woodrow Wilson's presidency after Taft, she was banned again from the White House (laughs) for making a quote-unquote body joke at Wilson's expense. Oh, hell yeah. I could not find the joke. (laughs) I tried. I tried to find it, and I'm going to keep looking, and if I can find it, I'm going to tell a post about it or talk about it in the next one. Oh, God. And so her unofficial motto that she said, and we have, oh, God, we've heard this shit. I guarantee you've heard this quote. I've heard this quote. I'm sure I've said this quote because I am a messy bitch. But her unofficial (laughs) motto was, if you haven't anything good to say about anyone, come and sit next to me. (laughs) So, yeah, like, I mean, she was all about a good time. She also claimed that a Hoover vacuum was more exciting than President Herbert Hoover. (laughs) She sounds like somebody who we need in our friend circle. She is delightful. What a fucking delight. So then when Joseph McCarthy, yes, McCarthy of the communist witch hunt infamy, Mm -hmm. called her Alice instead of Mrs. Longsworth, she retorted, you will not call me Alice. The truck man, the trash man, and the policeman on the block may call me Alice, but you may not. Oh, 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 damn. So sit all the way the fuck down, Joseph Joseph McCarthy. (laughs) Her father tried to corral her by enrolling her in boarding school, but he didn't actually send her because she said, if you send me, I will humiliate you. (laughs) Right. And it sounds like he didn't, like, he knew it was not an idle threat. Like, she was not (laughs) fucking around. The so most powerful man on you know the free world and she's like I got you bitch. Yes. Yeah. So, so I just like my last point that I wrote down is that she 
constantly voiced her political opinions to her father, whether he wanted her to or not. <laughs> so like she and like I I love her so much because I feel like my life aligned with hers in some ways. Like I'm constantly saying shit that my dad would rather I not say <laughs> like this entire podcast and doing all kinds of rambunctious crap. So when her father was running for reelection mm-hmm. and then her husband, um, and Taft, he was running against Taft, her husband threw in his support with Taft and she was like, listen here, you motherfucker. I'm supporting my dad. Mm-hmm. And like, so threw all her support behind her dad and it really strained her marriage as a result. But like oh, wow. as much grief as she caused her dad, she still like had his back, which is 100% me and my dad. As much grief as I cause him, we've still got each other's backs. But yeah, so I want to be Alice Roosevelt when I grow up with the side of all these other badass ladies we've talked about so far. I honestly didn't know all that about her. So I'm really excited. <laughs> Yes, and, like, I had to keep it brief because I kept finding stuff and kept finding stuff, and I was like, okay, I need to stop, and I might have to do an episode just on Alice and just do, like, all my topics on Alice because she's, or Mrs. Longsworth, because she is fantastic. She's, like, the epitome of the women in history, or... Uh, well-behaved women rarely make history. Yes, and I saw that attributed to her, but I know she didn't say it, but, like, so many people said it about her. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it, she's definitely one of the non-well-behaved women that I really aspire to be. I, oh, me too. She just gives zero fucks. <laughs> exactly, and I appreciate her for it. <laughs> me too. Oh, my God, that is amazing. I really didn't know much about her, so I'm really glad you did that. Yes, me too. All right, you ready for some spooky? Absolutely. Spookatize me, Captain. <laughs> so, I am going to do the ghost of Anne Boleyn. <gasps> yes, yes. Real yes. talk, Anne Boleyn is one of my favorite women in history. And I know people are like, oh, she lost her head. That is not all she did. Like, she is a badass woman who did so much and I can't possibly talk about all of it. So a little background. In 1536, England's King Henry VIII accused his second wife, Anne Boleyn, who had been crowned in 1533, of charges including adultery, incest, and conspiracy against the king. At her trial, she was found guilty and on May 19th, 15. 36, she was taken to the Tower Green in London, where she was beheaded by a French swordsman rather than the standard axe-wielding executioner. So that's also one of my favorite things about this, is that it shows how much she was respected, that the French sent their best swordsman to execute her so that she wouldn't feel any pain. Oh, yeah. I hadn't even considered that because I was like, fuck, you're dead either way. But yeah, the difference between being in pain and being not in pain makes a lot of sense. She spent a lot of time at the French court. And uh, so she was really loved by the French as well. So the swordsman was the best and he had the best sword and he actually distracted her. And he if you've ever seen the Tudors, this part's actually true. They did word by word of what people reported. But he said, hey, boy, grab my sword. And while she was looking at the sword, he cut her head off so that she didn't even know it was coming. So she was dead before she even knew she was dying. So highly appreciate that because a lot of women in history say uh, 
think uh, Mary Queen of Scots, they didn't kill her the first hack. It took like four more times. So she was just suffering the whole time. So that's, that's pretty rough. So historians believe that the charges against her were false. No shit. And (laughs) they were issued by Henry VIII to remove Boleyn so that he could marry his third wife, Jane Seymour. Because he couldn't keep it in his pants and he also wanted a male heir. So how did she get here? So Boleyn was a member of King Henry VIII's court, serving as a maid of honor to his first wife, Catherine of Aragon, to whom he married in 1509 to 1533. Anne Boleyn, who came from an aristocratic family, had served in the courts of other European royals. She was educated and skilled at the diversions expected of a charming member of court, such as dancing, singing, and game-like art of flirting. So they taught you how to flirt back then. I needed that class growing up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I must have missed it, too. But, unlike other women at the time, she was also part of political functions at court. Like her father, she was a diplomat, and she played a role in greeting foreign dignitaries, and she also had some influence on matters of international affairs, which is unlike any other woman at the time. She was completely, she knew how to play the game, politically. So in order for Henry to marry Anne, his marriage to Catherine needed to end. The king had found a new favorite in Anne, and he hoped that she would provide him a son because Catherine had not. But Anne refused to be his mistress and held out for marriage, which is also saying something because all the other women in this whole King Henry VIII fiasco was just throwing it at him. So she was the first one that made him work for it. So appreciation. For real. (laughs) Though divorce was not allowed under the Catholic Church, King Henry VIII persisted in seeking one. He argued to Pope Clement VII that his marriage to Catherine could be annulled because she had been married to his brother Arthur, who died shortly after their marriage. Henry based this argument on the biblical passage of Leviticus that condemns marriage between a man and his brother's wife. Therefore, Henry claimed the Pope who granted the marriage had been wrong to do so in the first place. So Pope Clement wasn't really too keen on you being like, hey, you're blaming me for your bullshit. No. So he was like, you're not getting the annulment. So King Henry VIII took a step that would change the course of world history (laughs) and religion as we know it now. So with the help and maneuvering of Thomas Cromwell, Henry VIII broke ties with the Catholic Church in Rome, affirming the king's view that the church should not have the power over England's sovereignty. Oh, Maurice. Mary's dreaming. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so cute. Okay. (laughs) All right. So King and Anne Boleyn were secretly married in January of 1533, causing Henry and the Archbishop of Canterbury at the time, Thomas Kramer, to be excommunicated from the Catholic Church. But he was like, fuck that. I'm going to make my own church. So this led to the establishment of the Church of England a major step in the Reformation that added England to a list of Protestant nations. Anne Boleyn fell from Henry VIII's favor when she failed to give birth to a male heir. In 1533, she bore a female child who would actually grow up to be Queen Elizabeth I. So, also, I like the irony that he was like, fuck you, you didn't give me a son. And then his daughter grows up to be one of the most successful monarchs of all time in history, so... For real, he just, like, did not know science, so that's cool. 
Exactly. So Anne did suffer many miscarriages, and her only male child was born stillborn, um, which today in science we know that the males are what causes male and female with children. But also they think that maybe Elizabeth was a negative blood type and that her rough labor would have caused all the miscarriages afterwards because your body changes when there's a negative blood type and you're a positive. So it was not her fault. Yeah. So it's not your fault. And then when the male child was born, stillborn, they immediately thought that it was witchcraft and it was a demon because she had a basically a fetus. So Uh, it was a terrible, terrible time for her because she knew she was very political. She knew at this time, like, this is it for me. There's nothing else I can do, which I can't imagine, honestly. I don't think she foresaw what was going to happen. I don't think she thought he would go through with it, but she had to have known that shit was about to hit the fan. At this point, Henry was just out. He was out of the marriage. He had already been having adulterous relationships with two of the Queen's maids, Madge Shelton and Jane Seymour. And he was ready to just move on with wife number three with Jane Seymour. And he was convinced that she would be the one to give him a male heir. So Henry was not going to be able to get another divorce because he was now the head of the church and divorce is not a thing. So he had kind of screwed himself at that point. Right. But he decided that there were other ways. So Boleyn was accused of sexual affairs with male members of her court who in some cases were tortured to make these confessions. So they, I mean, let's think about medieval torture for a second. You would admit to anything if you were being tortured. Of course. Yeah. In addition, she was accused of incest with her brother, and she was also accused of sorcery that she is to bewitch the king. Which is my biggest pet peeve with the other Boleyn girl, is that they insinuated that the incest actually happened. Awesome. So I have a lot of issues with Philippa Gregory, but we'll save that for another time. Who's the author of the other Boleyn girl? Okay. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Possibly a drunk dive. (laughs) yes all right so Boleyn was sent to confinement in the Tower of London where her trial took place on May 15th 1536 which is coming up May 15th she was found guilty by jury that included her own uncle and a former fiance what there's no loyalty in these hoes (laughs) (laughs) by sending Anne to her death Henry VIII cleared the way to marry Seymour which he did the next day What a piece of shit. Okay. So before I get into the ghost, I just wanted to take one more historical detour. (laughs) Cold-blooded. Me and my historical detours. Okay, one more. She was an initiator. I love your historical detours. I know. All right. So Anne Boleyn, she is such an important person in history because she was a catalyst for the Reformation. She was an initiator of the Protestant religion in England. And she's a big fucking deal. Okay, she used her influence to save victims of heresy laws. She sponsored Tyndale's New Testament and owned his The Obedience of the Christian Man, which she persuaded Henry to actually read. She gave each member of her household a book of Psalms in English. She appointed evangelical chaplains to her household and influenced the election of reformist bishops. And most of her silk women were evangelicals who helped import illegal Bibles. So she did way more than that, but that's just kind of like a little portion of the things she did. So she is really the reason that Protestantism came to England because Henry was not smart enough to come up with this. Let's be real. For real. So I, yeah, he I, really was not. 
I honestly, it's probably a conspiracy theory, but I honestly believe that he was threatened by her because she was smarter than him. I and guarantee she, it. And she had way more political leverage than he did. Like, she knew more about what was happening in other courts because she lived there. So I think part of him was like, I want to marry Jane Seymour. But the other part was probably, I just need to get rid of her because she's she's going to be out of control. She's too smart for me. Yeah. So he's a piece of shit. I agree. Yes. All right. So now for some spooky shit. Yay. All right. So all these ghost stories came from the Anne Boleyn files, which is an amazing source for any kind of Anne Boleyn research. So if you're interested in her like I am, you should check them out because they are amazing. So if legends are true, Anne Boleyn is likely the most traveled ghost in Britain. There are at least seven locations where her spirit is said to walk. So she's busy. <laughs> all right. Of the seven is Hever Castle, her childhood home. Blickling Hall, her alleged birthplace. The Tower of London, where she was executed. Hampton Court Palace in Windsor Castle, where Anne and Henry resided during their marriage. Saddle Church in Norfolk, where Anne's body was allegedly moved after her original burial. And Marwell Hall in Hampshire, a resident of the Seymours between 1530 and 1638. Alright, so I'm going to start with Marwell Hall. Anne supposedly haunts the Yew Tree Walk, where Henry... And Jane Seymour are rumored to have strolled while planning their wedding. Well, Anne was still alive. <laughs> Astard. Uh, such an asshole. Okay. Legend has it that Henry and Jane were at Marwell Hall while Anne was in the tower awaiting execution. And that Henry had arranged for a chain of beacons to let him know that the execution had taken place. It had been rumored that Henry had actually married Jane at Marwell Hall on May 19th, the day of Anne's execution before their official wedding on May 30th. Gross. Which, it's not horribly... Like, he married Anne unofficially before he married her officially, so it's not oh, completely yeah. out of the realm that he would do that. Still so. gross. Such an asshole. Okay. Anne also haunts two of the most famous royal residences in southern England, Hampton Court and Windsor Castle. At Hampton Court, she is seen wearing a blue dress, and she has been described as walking slowly... And very sad. I mean, no shit. She, yeah, she earned the right. <laughs> One wonders if she ever encounters her successor, Jane Seymour, who actually died at Hampton Court on October 24th, 1537, 12 days after giving birth to Prince Edward. So that would be an awkward encounter. Like, awkward. You got me murdered, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Anne might also encounter her first cousin, Henry's fifth wife, Queen Catherine Howard, as she roams the halls of Hampton Court. So, following her arrest, Catherine allegedly broke free from the guards and ran towards the door of the chapel where Henry was at prayer. She was hoping that she could appeal to him in person and that he would pardon her. He ignored her pleas. Of course he did. And uh, Catherine was dragged, struggling and screaming, back to her room. The corridor through which she ran is now called the Haunted Gallery, and Catherine's ghost is still seen and heard running down the corridor, still pleading for mercy. Yikes. That would be... Uh, I don't want to experience that. No. All right. So at Windsor Castle, which we talked about with Elizabeth, Anne's ghost has been seen standing at a window at the Dean's Cloister, if stories are true, the hauntings at Windsor may be a dysfunctional family affair. Let me explain. Henry also allegedly haunts Windsor. 
that would be i i don't want to run into him you cut my head off right yeah i've seen the video of his like supposed haunting where he throws open the doors Mm -hmm. like he was probably throwing open the doors to try to get away from all of his wives probably he did that to himself he deserves it he did he earned it all right castle guests have heard henry's footsteps echo along the corridors of the castle and have heard him moaning and groaning as he attempts to pull his ulcerated leg behind him. <laughs> so, Terrific if you don't, right. yeah, if you don't know, Henry was in a jousting accident, and then he got some major gross gangrene and like ulcerative legs and gross, and he apparently smelled really horrible. So, like, wives after Aunt had a really tough time because he was like fat and gross and smelled. So, there's that. It's what they get for taking sloppy thirds and uh, more. Like fourth and fifth and sixth. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Henry and Anne's daughter, Queen Elizabeth I, has been seen by several members of the royal family haunting the royal library. Sounds of her high heels are heard on the bare floorboards before her figure appears and passes through the library into the inner room. So, I mean, high five for hanging out at the library. I find that. I found that, like, the place you should hang out mm-hmm. post-death. She's also been seen standing at the window in the Dean's Cloister wearing a black dress with a black lace shawl draped around her shoulders. Since Anne has also been seen in the Dean's Cloister, perhaps mother and daughter have been able to forge a relationship that they were denied in, you know, their life. And they've been uh, doing it in their afterlife. So that's a sweet thought. Better late than never? Yeah, I mean, also, side note, like, Queen Elizabeth could never talk about her mom because her mom was murdered as being, like, a traitor and, you know, a traitor to the throne. So even as queen, she could never talk about her own mother. Can you imagine knowing that your dad murdered your mom and you can never talk about her? But yeah, that would be crap. Supposedly, she wore a ring that had Ambulance picture in it, so that's really sweet. Aw. And, uh... Queen Elizabeth is also a Protestant, so I think that she probably got a lot of that from her mom. So, yeah, I find that. I found that sweet. Okay. I approve of this. So, Blickling Hall is in Norfolk, and it's a place where many modern historians believe to be Anne's birthplace. The present building, built in the 19th century for Sir Henry Hobart, stands on the site of a previous building that belonged to Anne's father, Sir Thomas Boleyn. On May 19th, the anniversary of her death, Anne is said to return to Blickling Hall. A carriage comes up the drive leading to the hall, drawn by six headless horses and driven by a headless coachman. Anne sits inside, dressed in white, holding her severed head in her lap. When the carriage reaches the front doors, the horses and carriage disappear, and Anne goes inside to roam the halls until daybreak. Nope. Nope. (laughs) Nope, nope. I'm going to get all my nopes right there because. Yep. Nope. 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 Flickling Hall is also said to be haunted by their father, Sir Thomas Boleyn. Some say he is the driver of the coach that delivers Anne to Flickling Hall on the anniversary of her execution. After dropping Anne off the front doors at midnight, he continues on, pursued by the hordes of screaming demons that curse him for his betrayal of the Boleyn family. Also earned it. Also, yes. He is forced to drive his spectral coach over 12 bridges that lie between Roxham and Blickling for a thousand years as his penance. So, I mean, there's that. Yep. 
All right, so Heaver Castle, which is on the top of my bucket list. Oh, okay. Heaver Castle is Anne's childhood home. The Boleyns purchased the castle in the 16th century. Henry VIII was rumored to have courted Anne beneath the Great Oak, which is still standing. The hauntings at Heaver are not nearly as terrible as those at Ligling Hall. Anne loved Heaver, so perhaps she returns there for peace. So every Christmas Eve, she has been seen crossing the bridge over the River Eden in the castle grounds. She is also seen standing beneath the Great Oak, under which Henry wooed her. So that's actually kind of sad. Yeah, that is. Like, I have no doubt that he actually loved her, because his love letters to her exist still. And he truly, unless he was lying and all that, but he seemed to truly love her. I think it was just the circumstances of everything that happened. Tower of London obviously (laughs) it is the most active of the places that she allegedly haunts the main fortress of the tower known as the white tower was begun by william the conqueror in 1078 so that the tower was already 450 years old by the time Anne became queen so another historical detour there cool okay (laughs) since the tower was a place of imprisonment and death for most of, of his existence it's said to be the most haunted building in London, if not the whole of England, which is probably why I want to go there. Anne Boleyn's ghost has been seen in several places around the tower grounds. Okay, so in 1817, a sentry patrolling the White Tower suffered a fatal heart attack after encountering a ghostly Anne Boleyn on the staircase. Yikes. In 1864, a sentry standing guard outside the Queen's house reported seeing a white figure of a woman filled in a mist. She was wearing a Tudor dress and a French hood. However, where her face should have been, there was nothing. Mm. He challenged the figure, and when it did not reply, he continued towards it, which I would not do. How's it going to reply if it ain't got no mouth? (laughs) The sentry made a thrust at it with his bayonet, and what happened next caused him to freak the fuck out. His bayonet... (laughs) His bayonet passed right through the figure, and a fiery flash ran up his rifle and gave him a shock. Afterwards, the sentry was court-martialed for falling asleep during his watch. (laughs) (laughs) He was found not guilty, though, because he had several eyewitnesses that said that they had also seen the headless woman at the Tower Green that night. One officer said they saw the event from a window in the bloody tower and testified that he had heard the sentry yelling at a figure and telling her to stop, and then he saw him thrusting his bayonet through it. He saw the figure pass through the bayonet and through the sentry as well. So, that's a big nope, also. Can I I just say that I really appreciate that the soldier was like, this thing probably isn't real, but I'm going to go ahead and stab it anyway. (laughs) As one does. As one does. I really appreciate that. (laughs) So that are some of the ghosts of Anne Boleyn. Awesome. That's She's, like so much metaphysical energy to be able to haunt that many places. I know. That's like seven places she's supposedly at. So like even after death, she's like a boss ass bitch because she can haunt so many places at once. That's so cool. I would agree. She was also a very feisty woman. So I'm sure she's like, I got to be places. So Yes. If the if the Tudors even gets like half of her actual personality correct, mm-hmm. I like would have loved her because she's so awesome. Yeah, that is my favorite part of the Tudors, honestly, is the Amberlynn parts. It's the whole reason I watched that as much of that show as I did, and I haven't even watched all of Amberlynn's parts yet. So, I think she is just a phenomenal woman, and 
People really need to think about it because she was just completely slandered after death, too. They said she had like six fingers and warts and just all kinds of horrible stuff and that she's a witch. But she was apparently very beautiful. But at that time, the standard of beauty was blonde hair, blue eyes. But she was brown hair, brown eyes. And she was just beautiful in her own right. But you know how it is. Yeah, the rumor mill has not really changed in thousands of years, so... I just hate that. I hate when people slander people post-death or erase them, because that's my yes. biggest argument. Yes. Especially women. Get it together, history. Amen. That's why we're doing this episode, to Hell respect yeah. those ladies. I know, one of my other favorite people in history, she died... And then they just try to erase her from history. Like, she never happened. And then somebody accidentally found, like, a hieroglyph. And they're like, oh, shit, she was a queen. And then they're like, Hatshepsut was, like, one of the most successful. I was going to say, isn't it Hatshepsut? Yeah. Yeah, because she was like, I'm not a queen. I'm a fucking pharaoh. Yeah. Yeah. She, oh, she's one of my favorite. Also one of my favorite people in history. That Mm -hmm. one. Her and, uh... Marie Antoinette, the whole people think the let the meat cake thing. She never said that. So there's a lot of things that people assume. And a lot of times this stuff is actually taught in history class. Like people act like this really happened. And no, that's not what happened. Well, that's why, yeah, that's why I'm so happy that we're like actually doing this podcast because we can kind of cover that stuff and. I mean, even just us talking about these things so far, like, I've been like, hey, I did not know that, or that's not what I was taught, and it's nice to have kind of the record set straight. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It makes me very excited. I mean, I like to talk about history, so I'm Same. really excited to have this means to geek out about my favorite women, because it's Hell my favorite yeah. thing. Yes. Yes, oh, yes, yes. Love it, love it, love it. All right, so... We have a shout out this week to Hunter Bennett, who is a phenomenal woman that I have worked with at the Historic Arkansas Museum. And uh, I'm just so excited because she joined Patreon. She's one of our majestic as fuck patrons. So thank thank you. you. We're so happy. Yes. If you'd like to join Patreon for some additional content, our fierce AF patrons receive a social media shout out. And access to a librarian book list and a historian historical bucket list. And it's only $2. And our majestic AF patrons receive all the goodies of the previous tier, as well as access to bloopers, drunk dives, and Q&A parties. And they also get to vote on some weekly themes. And they receive a shout out on the pod. Yes, and our theme this week of the Badass Ladies was one that our Patreon donors voted for so if you're a patreon donor go vote yes and then starting in may the last day of the month we will post an extra af episode this is an additional episode that is part current events and part listener emails so please send us your stories we want to hear about your family history your spooky encounters your experiences at historical places anything and everything just send it to us at our, at our email, which is historicalafpod at gmail.com. And we would also love, love, love for you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at historicalafpod. And uh, if you'd like to follow us on our personal social media accounts, we are on Instagram at H-A-R-U-L-O. That's R-U-L-O. 
and at Kina Leanne, that is K-Y-N-A-L-E-A-N-N-E. And we're also on Twitter as at librarian underscore A-F and at pirates with, which is W-I-F. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you did that because I was like, how am I going to say pirates with wife? Well, it's funny because my husband really likes pirates and he also calls me his with. So that's where that came from. <laughs> nice. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then um, don't forget we have a contest going on. As you listen to us, please review our podcast and rate us on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Uh, if it's on, you know, Apple podcast or Podbean, Spotify, wherever, uh, after you review us, and we would love if it was a great review, a nice one, <laughs> screenshot it for us and email it to us at historicalafpod uh, at gmail.com to be entered into a drawing to win a prize of some Absolutely. pretty cool swag. Yeah, these reviews mean a lot. So if you review us on Apple Podcasts, that's what's going to make us new and noteworthy and other people can actually see us because we're kind of hidden. Yes, and we have already gotten some really great reviews and we appreciate them so much. And we, like, send them to each other and go, oh, my God, have you seen this? And we get super-duper pumped. Uh, So please keep them coming to make our days better and better and better. Absolutely. And please share us with your friends and family and everybody because we just want to share history with everybody. Everyone in the whole wide world. So, yes, Absolutely. All right, guys. Thank you for uh, sticking with us this whole time. Yay. Thank you so, so, so much. We appreciate you so much more than you will ever know. Oh, yes. We love you all. So goodbye until next week. Bye. Bye.